The Trench Run Report proudly presents Mando Meetings with your hosts, Aaron Russo and Justin Boots Gray. This is the way. All right, greetings, Star Wars fans. Welcome to another episode of the Trench Run Report. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Russo, and I'm here with... Uh, Justin Boots Gray, and also here with us, uh, right after we... This is just right after uh, we watched the episode, so we have a special guest with us today. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, absolutely. Uh, my name's David. Um, huge Star Wars fan. Great to be with you guys, and yeah, love the episode. Uh, so this is uh, chapter 12 called The Siege, and uh, this was uh, um, it was directed by uh, Carl Weathers. Overall, overall thoughts on my end, I thought it was really fun. This was a very fun episode. This, is, this was, I kind of had the same feelings that I had during uh, A New Hope, first time watching it, mm. and The Force Awakens. Uh, first time watching it, possibly The Phantom Menace as a kid. So, um, overall, just fun. Um, what What were your thoughts, Aaron? Um, yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was really good. I think that might I might have liked that maybe even more than the previous episode. Um, oh. I thought it was interesting. Like I got the feeling at the beginning that this was just going to be like a side mission, like. Mm-hmm. He's going to go to, you know, go to Navarro. He's going to have a little re- reunion with his friends, and they're going to help him. He's going to help them do something, and he's going to leave. And it actually wasn't that at all. Like, it went and brought us back into the whole storyline of the child and the, the, the cloning scientist and, and Get- Moff Gideon and what are they trying to do. And, and that was, and like, I love, it was such a, it was such a good combination of, like, these really deep cuts into the storyline and like back into what's going on and then just flat out just great Star Wars action like between the action on the base the chases I thought it was great that was really yeah that I, I like that that really felt like Star Wars mm-hmm. big time yeah yeah it was it was pretty good a lot of good action um, some questions answered about baby Yoda um, and a lot more questions coming out of this mm-hmm. especially how that progressed towards Moff Gideon and how is that going to progress as far as leading into you know like the Battle of Jakku and the beginning of the First Order because um, it, it definitely like what you were saying here and it has while we were watching it, it has that almost that First Order vibe as the Empire starts to make that transition mm-hmm. we're, we're going to dive in a little bit uh into the episode as far as the details and uh, what happened. The beginning of the episode uh, starts out with uh, Razor Crest, I assume, jumped out of hyperspace unintentionally because we had that uh, hyperdrive error sound that the Millennium Falcon had, and I'm pretty sure they had to come to an emergency stop. Uh, um, And we find uh, Baby Yoda (laughs) helping him fix the ship. And so, first of all, um, I I give I give a lot of points for to um, the child for 
uh, helping them out, and uh, it's, it's I definitely got the uh, the kind of uh, kid helping the dad fix the car kind of situation. He's trying his best, but errors do come around. <laughs> I, I, I feel like uh, so. I, I'm not I, I have, I'm gonna have to re I don't know why that was so funny but it was hilarious like mm. that was so funny just him going the blue one and the, you know like the, just him explaining and him being confused and like like I don't know why but that was absolutely just hilarious and adorable and cute and just like a really funny little moment between them um, yeah I don't <laughs> I don't know there was something about the way the tone of how he was trying to explain it to him, you know, like mm-hmm. that was just really funny. It was funny. Yeah, it definitely had like that, like what you were saying, Justin, the dad trying to walk the kid through how to do something. As far as no, you take the blue blue wire and it goes where the red wire was. You take the red one, put it where the blue is. No, but don't cross them because that would be bad. Then also, then boom, it happens. So 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 it's basically the car battery uh, situation. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> something just there was just a tone to that sequence that was just funnier than it should have been I don't know why but it was really but that's a good point though that I didn't think about that so like that was yeah they weren't planning to stop they kind of had to for, they were forced to stop mm-hmm. so that with that happening uh, that kind of forces the Mandalorian to head back to Navarro and uh, as you guys know um, Grief Karga and Cara Dune uh, reside there, and apparently they've taken on uh, bigger roles than when we last saw them. So, so like I think Grief Karga is more of a um, city cl- clerk. The t- yeah. the title is a bit unclear, but I, I feel like he's not just a guild member, like a guild. Uh, yeah, he's not holder. the same. He's not so, the same uh, mm-hmm. person that he was before. Yeah. Right, and then then. Uh, Dune's now now a uh, marshal. You get those heavy western vibes again, you know, mm-hmm. like yep. the marshal in town, and like Karga's like the you know like semi shady businessman or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I I thought do, were you gonna touch back on? I, I thought it was interesting how they showed the armory abandoned. Oh yeah, right, yes. and, cool. and how <clears throat> there it was kind of like just like so all the all the the watch is gone. They're all gone. There's mm-hmm. nothing there. That they showed the like the outline of that uh, Mandalorian. Uh, the the mythosaur skull. Skull. I, I I'm assuming it's made out of Beskar. Yeah, it was gone. Yeah, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that like, so they left there really quickly, or the ones. Well, most of them were killed, but then right. the armorer was still alive. At the end of season one, she's nowhere to be found. Right. And people are just raiding the place, and then. She shows up, you know, Cara Dune shows up to flush out all these scavengers or whoever they are. Um, but I didn't really get a sense of what was there that they were stealing or what was it like all leftover Mandalorian stuff? And, I, I think it might have been uh, stuff that that was like stolen from the people that lived there. Maybe that. Yeah, that was a bit unclear, though. So. Yeah, that or yeah, stole stuff because when Cara Dune first engaged that first um, character that what one of them yelled out it's the marshal right. and they all went for their blasters mm-hmm. so yeah it could have been just low-life criminals taking advantage of that empty covert that the Mandalorians had 
and just using that as her hideout, and then she locates it and takes them out. Right. Uh-huh. And she said something about I'm returning this stuff to the owners. Yeah. Yep. So I'm guessing maybe it was just stuff that belonged to people in the community there, and they were just using it as like a hideout or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now, now we're entering back into Navarro, and it definitely seems like a lot has changed for the better. Um, it's a little bit busier than uh, what we've seen in season one. Yeah. And I, I kind of like how uh, that uh, drink, that uh, bar that they they used for the first season is like now a school. Yeah, that was interesting. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, Baby Yoda getting enrolled in the school. Well, yeah. <laughs> part part of me was like. Is he gonna just understand, or is, he, is this like the uh, like daycare? Is or is he gonna learn? So, I I don't I don't know. I I don't think I still think he's kind of like the uh, two year old. So it's that, that's like putting a two year old in a, a first grade class, the, or or second grade class. Like to me, I thought that was kind of uh, weird that they'd leave him there, but probably probably the best. Place I think, to leave them. Well, I guess. you know, not that, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because I'm, I'm one thing I'm 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 really struck by as the difference between last season and this season is that, like last season, Baby Yoda is like going into these really dangerous situations, and he's saving the day. Mm-hmm. And now this season, oh, we gotta do something dangerous. Put him over here or put him over there. Right. Or he's he's largely helpless. Like. And then when he finally uses the force, which I'm not complaining about it, but when he finally uses the force, he's he's stealing cookies from his classmate, like, like which is fine. I thought it was great. I thought it was funny. I thought it was cute. Mm-hmm. Like I always, it's like you know, what would what would it look like to have like a, you know, force sensitive kid in your class? You know, it's kind of like Harry Potter. It's like if Harry Potter was in public school, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> he, he, he had the magic and no one else did or something. But like, but but Baby Yoda is like not like. I'm not sure why he's he's not. I'm still we still haven't had that moment where like, like we had in the first season where like his force sensitivity and his force use is central to the story. Like he saves Mando's life through the force mm-hmm. in season one. He heal he saves Grief Karga's life probably by healing him. Um, and in this season so far, he's really like a prop and a novelty. And then he does the force thing with. To steal the macaroons or whatever those were, and then that's it, right? And then uh-huh. and then he does his little thing at the end. But like, I mean, I thought it was cute and funny, but like, I'm still kind of like perplexed by like how much differently they're handling Baby Yoda in this season so far. I guess. Mm-hmm. Part part of me says that the show like that this season's still a bit young, though. Actually, we're kind of like right in the middle of we're it. halfway. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, but like, we still have a wall. Well, long way to go with him, so I'm kind of just holding out that he does something later on. Um, but it, it uh, could yeah, be, what, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, it could be even too. Um, it's more uh, sporadic when mm-hmm. he uses a force. Um, kind of like, well, a good example would be those probably a lot of bad feelings towards uh, like the Aragon movies in the, in the books, where how um, Aragon when he uses magic. It's more out of instinct rather than he's this cool character and he's got this power, but he has to develop that. So that could be like with season season one, 
where mm. he senses grief karga. He's being poisoned, so he has that that urge or that itch to try to do something. And then when he does it, the force just works through him. Mm-hmm. Or with like the flamethrower, when that flame trooper steps through the door, it could have like that could activate like that fight or flight sense mm-hmm. where you know, an emotion comes up and that triggers somehow triggers him to use the force without him actually knowing what he's doing right or even that tr- that that scene where he force chokes yeah yeah <laughs> same oh, thing okay daddy's in trouble choke choke right. his girlfriend right. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be yeah like with the cookies hungry i want those i can't i don't have long arms <laughs> and it just comes right to him. So, and uh, plus we have another uh, returning character. Uh, I think he's called the Mithral. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I, 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 feel, I feel bad for this guy. Like, they're giving him so much crap. And I thought it was hilarious how when the Mando a, walks in, he does that, like, <laughs> that, that thing <laughs> That was, that was funny. That was, that was pretty good comic relief there. Uh, so, so he like, sh- like, like, like nervous farted in the air yeah. through his neck. <laughs> um, I, mean, I almost feel like, like you just mentioned, like uh, comic relief, but they did it in a way where you feel bad for him. Right. Unlike Jar Jar, how he was brought in as comic relief, but it took the wrong turn. Where everyone's just like, well, that's just... That's just annoying and yeah. there for no reason. Well, I thought... So, so I, I, I forgot, right? So, because, like... Mm-hmm. So, in season one, Mando brings him back to Navarro, frozen in carbonite. And I so I guess apparently they just defrosted him and put him to work, like... Uh-huh. That was basically like he didn't get delivered anywhere else, and they were like, "Oh well, we can just, uh, you know, put him to work on the planet, I guess." But I so, thought it was. I thought his character was. I, I mean, it was interesting how he they was were funny. It was. It was. I, I liked his. I, his his comic. The comic relief they're using him for. I much prefer to. Curly haired lady. I always forget her name. <laughs> Oh, um, oh, yeah, Pilo. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that person. I just the comic relief there just doesn't hit me, but this guy cracks me up for some reason. And how they're how they're debating about his his debt throughout the thing. Oh, I'll knock oh, off a hundred yeah. years if you drive us right up to the front door. Right. So so I, I'm I'm just wondering was like gr- grief cargo. I'm just wondering if cargo was the one that put the bounty on him or not. I, I don't I don't think they made that super clear. Maybe yeah, we never really knew what the bounty. We, we never knew really, there was no backstory to that character. He was right. just a bounty, mm-hmm. and he brought him back like everybody else. But so. I mean, and I guess we'll probably never get and nothing anything too deep there. But they decided to bring him back. I thought it was funny. I mm-hmm. thought it was I I I don't, that that character seemed funny. I mean, I thought he was. I enjoyed that character in the first episode of the first season. Just some of his lines. Mm-hmm. And some of his humor, I thought, was pretty good. So now they're on a mission to, um, like, dismantle a uh, an imperial base that is still active. And we also find out that the uh, stormtroopers uh, that accompanied Mop Gideon in uh, chapters 7 and 8, that's where they all came from. 
and uh, and and we we were watching this, and uh, Aaron pointed out a pretty interesting uh, uh, note that the uh, bass kind of reminded him of the one in Edu uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, in Rogue One, so. like built into that cliffside with that platform sticking mm-hmm. out. So, and that kind of also got got me thinking because uh, that the one on Edu was a Kyber uh, science uh, right facility. And this one, we also find out a little bit later on, is also done for scientific reasons as well. So maybe it's like a standard for the Empire to build their like scientific uh, facilities into the ground. grounds. So so yeah, and plus like the and as as always, uh, it's always kind of cool to see like the um, Imperial uh, uh, architecture. In mm-hmm. uh, play, yes. so Def- definitely Death Star and Star Destroyer uh, vibes there. Um, I, I thought that I would I, I liked the uh, this is the second episode in a row where like we just get this stormtrooper body just getting flung, like <laughs> like in the previous episode you know they're driving the ship and the stormtrooper's body just kind of slams into the windshield and then mm-hmm. falls off and then in this one you have. Mando going up, and then like a, two minutes later, the stormtrooper just drops with a thud. Like, there's this really like sadistic way that the, like the stormtroopers are just getting like just brutalized everywhere you turn. It's really funny. But I like that whole break-in scene, that whole scene of them like getting into the base. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. And they they were they were he had told Grief Karga had told them that there was no that it was abandoned. Yeah, yep. and that he just wanted to destroy it so that mm-hmm. no one would come back or no one would know that it was there, so that it would just be off the map. But then it okay. turns out there's Imperials there, mm-hmm. correct? Yep, and it's a research lab, not a not a military, military installation. Yeah. So the action sequences I thought were I I apart from the what we've been talking about about how the stormtroopers are just like this is the second episode where like the stormtroopers are absolutely useless like. Mm-hmm. None of them can put up a fight. They all get killed. They don't kill anyone. Um, but it sure is fun to watch. I still love watching these, like, you know, all these different kind of, like, reproductions of, like, the chase on the Death Star, you know, like, when the, when Luke and Han and Leia were trying to escape from the stormtroopers that, that you know, I guess they can never get enough of, like, the whole, like, Stormtroopers chasing people down in hallways. <laughs> it really had a Rogue One vibe to it. Like mm-hmm. when they're on um, Jeddah, when that fight starts between Saw Gerrera's rebels and the Imperial forces. And then it gets into the close quarters when Jin and um, uh, Cassian. Yeah, they go hand hand to hand with the Stormtroopers. I really like seeing, even though the Stormtroopers just get absolutely wasted between, like, with, uh, in the firefights. I really enjoy seeing them using decent tactics. They're when they're moving, they're moving guns up like almost like what they're supposed to be doing. Um, there, a couple times you see them. They're trying to move up, advance on the rebels or whoever they're fighting. They're doing decent cover fire, trying to advance, even though they still get destroyed. Just get mowed down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's just, there's just something really cool with imperial for me imperial efficiency. Mm-hmm. Seeing them be able to move. As like almost like an elite fighting force, even though they get destroyed, maybe <laughs> plot armor. I don't know, but that's an argument for a different day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there was a scene in there that's like next where they uh, 
turn off the uh, um, wait was it like the stable yeah something to stabilize the, the yeah it's an core or something like so that like they mm-hmm. were they were extracting they were harnessing I think the heat or, or regulating it mm-hmm. or using it and or using it as energy and then they turned off like whatever was keeping that energy from overflowing mm-hmm. I guess so yeah and then uh, and that was going to cause the whole place to blow up right and uh, they kind of did that little, uh, like, Obi-Wan. Yes, uh, that was like very the much beam, uh, homage reaction. To, to that Death Star scene, I thought, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a stormtrooper that falls down there, too. When those two are chasing Mando, they start to start hitting the controls. You hear the one scream. They both, both look up, and the stormtrooper just drop free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you going to get to the... Part I really, we all really want to talk about. <laughs> oh, the, oh yeah, the the part that kind of just made the episode like not like not filler. You, you, you like we were going into this going okay it's fi- it's gonna be a filler episode and uh, it's um, it's gonna be entertaining enough to keep our interest but that just turned like that like took a huge turn. Mm-hmm. And just turned into like definitely an essential episode. The moment, the moment you see those, that body and fluid like floating there, mm-hmm. it's like, whoa. Okay, wait a minute. I mean, I immediately, that immediately took me to the scenes in Rise of Skywalker mm-hmm. where you saw the Snoke body parts floating around. Mm-hmm. Now I, I don't know if that's going to be directly connected, but like that, that was the vibe I got, and that. I was like, that was one of those, like, put the brakes on. It was like, oh, whoa, okay, this is actually going somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously you're thinking cloning right mm-hmm. away. Um, and that really surprised me because I, I was totally thinking this was just going to be just a side mission that wasn't going to be really directly connected mm-hmm. to anything else. And I like that they kind of, like, made you think that or tricked you into that or like you mm-hmm. and then and then they went like totally the opposite direction like and made it and really it was like a reveal mm-hmm. of something totally significant to the story which I thought was really cool like that that was really cool that's good storytelling to me like when when you when you give people viewers like a moment where they're like oh like didn't see that coming I didn't see that coming at all mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys yeah I didn't see that coming either and then when Mando's, oh, that must be an old recording because Moff Gideon's dead. It's like, last time I saw him, I blew up his TIE fighter and he crashed. And it's like, no, this message was th- from three days ago. Very ominous. And it's like, yeah. I need to get back to the child, baby Yoda. It's like, mm-hmm. I need to take my jetpack and I need to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was very, almost like dark. Mm-hmm. Like, as it went from just like this kind of like, Kill the stormtroopers to destroy the base mission to, like something very sinister, like what is going mm-hmm. on? And when they find the recording of the, now the the two guys who were at that control panel, did they have the same kind of garb on as that scientist? It looked like kind of. I didn't see it. I feel like it's like a kind of like somebody like a branch smaller maybe. It but wasn't yeah. imperial. Like those guys did not have imperial garb on. Mm-hmm. It looked like something I, different. I think it looked more like the uh, scientist crew from like Rogue One that worked with uh, Galen Erso. Looked more like their uniforms. Mm-hmm. 
like imperial science mm -hmm. thing. And what's interesting though, once once uh, they start going back through the base, and after they disable the power core or whatever it was, the stormtroopers are starting to realize something's wrong. You see them running back and forth trying to get to positions. Then it cuts to that room, and then those two, we'll just say scientists, the one guy is like, delete the stuff, delete the stuff, delete the stuff. And then man oh, them walk in, and he's like, destroy the, destroy the evidence. And mm -hmm. he pulls out his blaster pistols and starts shooting all the controls. Mmm, uh -huh. I totally missed that. Yeah. Mmm. Then, like, we get a little bit of, of a reveal from the scientists saying that, uh, that the experiments have failed and that the blood transfusion didn't work um, and that they needed the more uh, blood from baby Yoda right. apparently. Apparently he did extract a bit, bit of it before Mando rescued him. And I, th I thought the interesting thing was uh, they brought, brought up the uh, M count. Like, yes. Like obviously we, we're, we're all like, yeah, deaf medichlorians. Yep. So which, which means that that they knew, whoever they Moff Gideon or whoever is behind all this, knew that this was a force sensitive being mm -hmm. with a high midichlorian count, and that's exactly why they wanted Baby Yoda was to get a hold of, I guess, midichlorian saturated blood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So how did they, I guess the question for me is, how did they know that? Like, it just even more makes me question, the, the question that I still don't have an answer for is like, who is this child, right? Like, you know, obviously like there's still a story we don't know, but just the fact that that's explicitly stated now, like now we know that he's important because he's force sensitive, he has midichlorian, high midichlorian levels in his blood, and the things that he said in that recording about, so he said, catastrophic failure. Like so, like mm -hmm. so, like what it seemed to be implied was that they were doing experiments where they were taking high midichlorian count blood and putting it in some kind of, I'm guessing, human adult to see if that would make them force sensitive or force infusing. Mm -hmm. In a way and that fails. In a way that makes sense. Um, except I think in uh, the Rise of Skywalker novel, and then even going to the EU, the Darth Plagueis novel, there's a lot of talk about manipulating midichlorians to extend life. And mm -hmm. cloning someone who's force sensitive is really hard to do because there's a lot of factors that go into cloning someone who has the force. Um, and I think that's where uh, the EU comics, so like uh, Dark Empire comics, where they're trying to tie into some of that, where Palpatine clones himself, and then he basically does uh, the Sith ritual essence transfer. Basically, where he he's able to take his soul and transfer onto a clone or another person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think they might be trying to tie in different aspects of that. Um, yeah, a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, and he and he says very clearly, like like that he doesn't want to continue. He that he can't continue the experiments. And what he what was that line where he says, the volunteer. Yeah, and I, I don't know if that was mm -hmm. just like, he, if he was just speaking generally, 
that like the volunteer, whoever it is, would, you know, need to, you know, could die or whatever. Or if he was talking about someone specific, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but obviously, like he ties that directly, like he reports to Moff Gideon. So whoever that other guy was, whoever the client was, wasn't was wasn't really the main guy, right? Like, right. We, and we knew that, but like. Mm-hmm. Moff Gideon is like the central character. I guess for me that this all begs the question like is Moff Gideon in communication with Palpatine? I was just well, thinking that. Yeah. Is is yeah, he uh, is he in communication with Palpatine? Are these experiments tied to what we learned in Rise of Skywalker about cloning mm-hmm. or not? And I guess it could go either way. Like if it never gets tied to Palpatine, it, it still like would be an interesting story, mm-hmm. but it just seems almost impossible for it not to somehow be tied to that. But I don't know. Right after that, we get into uh, get into an action sequence where they all escape from the base. Uh, we we've touched a little bit of it of it previously, but I feel like there's still a lot more to talk about um, how they uh, get into that uh, Kenner uh, looking transport. Right. So. Great to see those again, as always. Which the, and, and, which the, and those transports have popped up, like, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of different places. Um, even though, I, to my knowledge, the only movie they've ever, ever been in was Rogue One, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Well, was, was it in Rogue One? I don't... I think they're in um, Rebels. More, more th- yeah, more, I, 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 know, I do, I do yeah. remember... In, it wasn't in Rogue One? Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. I, I don't think so. There's a similar one in um, the season one of the season finales in season one, where after the the Death Troopers open up on that cantina when Mando and them are all inside, oh, that, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, troop yeah. transport pulls up and then it's sim- similar to the same thing. And then stormtroopers just like pop out. Right. Mm-hmm. Then the bike this bike speeder chase, which I def- I definitely got. Uh, Kind of reminded me of uh, the um, motorcycle uh, chase from Indiana Jones, it, uh, a little bit. From the Last Crusade. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and then then they also do like callbacks to uh, like a New Hope, like with the um, gunner gunner mm-hmm. seat and. Uh, yep, that definitely had that vibe of like being in the Millennium Falcon. Hey, go back there and shoot these, you know, enemies in the back. Yeah, I loved all the, I love, I mean, I, I, I mean, and this is like, I don't know how I'm, I'm not keeping track. It'd be interesting to go back and, and count though. Cause like speeder bikes just pop up constantly in the show mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love it. Like I love the speeder bikes, right? Like, Same. and I think it's great. Like I love seeing that come back over and over, like not just on Endor, right? Like seeing it mm-hmm. in a desert, seeing it in the, this rock, you know, lava planet, like seeing it you know and like and i love i personally loved like i mean it felt like you were just lifting the tracks the audio from return of the jedi right into mm-hmm. the sequence which is fun um and just the way i mean that whole chase not to get too far ahead but like the speeders the tie fighters like all of that just was so classically visually and audio like really well done and felt very star wars right like it had a yeah. very trench run feel mm-hmm. to it you know that dizzying kind of 
going fast through a narrow space and you know trying to target with you know and it was just all of that was just very entertaining you know nothing it was just fun you know classic star wars you know close quarters chases and all that stuff which was really cool and just and like as as you said before like brutally brutally murdering these yeah. scout troopers <laughs> Uh, like slamming the train. Oh yeah, one of them gets like crushed <laughs> up against the side of the the wall of the ravine there and just like brutally crushed. And that poor one gets vaporized at point blank range. <laughs> yeah, I mean and then his helmet's just, you know, falling. Like there's almost like this sadistic humor to it at this point, I feel like, where the stormtroopers are just they're just cannon fodder. They're just like it's hilarious. Like it's like yeah, getting shot is fine, but what what else can we do with this? <laughs> I really would like a Star Wars movie that's about stormtroopers. It shows oh, it shows a better mean, side of them rather than just getting. They're just totally yeah. <laughs> cannon fodder, like you said. Yeah, they're just cannon fodder. It just feels like that's a, this show feels. Like, I feel like this show is like taking it to the next level. <laughs> Like, and I mean, yeah, everyone wants to see the, the heroes do great and survive. Mm-hmm. But two is like, you gotta give the stormtroopers some credit. Right. Let them hit someone. I mean, Mando. Right, like, yeah. Sure, they shot Mando three times, but of course he's wearing Beskar armor, right. so. He's the only one that you can hit, but it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> and like, they always seem to hit him just where the armor is, too. Like, right? Like, all those gaps in his armor, they don't hit there. Right, yeah. But they hit the armor, which is, I mean,. Visually very cool, right? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. and the way he kind of like gets jolted, but it doesn't stun him. Like, and like how he can keep going is 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 a cool visual. But I do think that it can get to the point where it's like a distraction, where it's just like, okay, oh, here, here come more stormtroopers. Yeah, I wonder if any <laughs> yeah. of them are gonna kill anyone. Probably not. Wonder if any of them will survive. Probably no. not. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, I was talking with Justin on this too. It's like you go into some of the books. The more recent one that pops in my head is the Thrawn Alliance. Where Thrawn and Vader go into the closer to the unknown regions to search for disturbance that Palpatine felt. In the 501st uh, break off of the 501st Legion goes with Vader and some of the chapters follow those stormtroopers missions and what happens to them. And there's a lot of talk about how they're an elite group. And they talk about their training, you know, brothers in arms, and talk, yeah, just like, they're an elite group of soldiers. That they, they're the best in the galaxy, the whole, the whole galaxy knows them. And then when you go into the movie, like the movies and TV shows, it's like, what, what happened? Were you guys out drinking last night or something? Or even in Aftermath, I think there was some really cool stuff with the Stormtroopers, just like, like explaining their morale. As as when the empire lost, and then as they were on Jakku, and like, and you're learning that they actually were taken there on purpose to actually break them down, and you get that you get to find out what that experience is like, which is also like makes them more than just these cannon fodder, faceless, yeah, just like useless, you know. But I just think that this show seems to be taking it to a to a level where it's like slightly distracting, like it starts to feel like a joke. It's done for a gag, mm-hmm. right? Which is, whereas, whereas what made Stormtroopers, what made it kind of acceptable or funny that they were such, so, such bad shots is that it was never actually intended to be a joke. Like, like that's just what ended up happening, right? Is that these are the bad guys and they just are a poor shot. 
now it's starting to feel like a joke, which I'm laughing at. I think it's funny, but I don't know if that doesn't make for like a menacing foe. But I will say, like, by the end of this episode, like, whatever they're doing, which, I mean, for me, what I got from it was trying to clone, uh, t- trying to take soldiers and make them force-sensitive, like a force-sensitive super army of some kind. Mm. Uh, that's dark. Like, that's, yeah. that's insidious. Yeah, you, 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 do, you do feel like there's, the tension does kind of build the further we get into, um, like what they're what the empire is still doing around um and what they're planning to do so and that whole thing explains why in season one the client was on navarro Mm -hmm. right like we don't know i just assumed that was just like he was there temporarily but navarro turns out was where they were actually doing all that stuff Mm -hmm. which is interesting which we didn't know that in season one, right? There was just an imperial presence. We didn't really know what right. was all that going on. Like I thought the impression I got in season one was that they were just there because that's where Baby Yoda was being brought, and then they would be leaving, right? Mm-hmm. But it turns out that's where they were actually doing everything. So like the story actually started on the planet where there's some kind of cloning experimentation going on, which is interesting. Um, but um, not to go backwards, but then I also, but then the I love the um, all this all the like when uh, the Razor Crest shows back up mm-hmm. when they're trying to escape and you know blows up that Tie Fighter and then that whole sequence of the Razor Crest and the and the Tie Fighter dueling up in the air like that that was amazing. They did a lot of really cool chases in this, in this episode that I just thought was really fun to watch. I would have liked to see a little more action out of the Tie Fighters. When once Razor Crest showed up, um, it was cool to see him and the one just go right go head to head playing chicken time basically. That which was really cool. Um, but again, it kind of goes back to the stormtroopers. It, right. The type, yeah. I mean, Star Wars you know, canon and lore, Tie Fighter pilots are viewed in the Empire as like the best of the best mm-hmm. because. Right. For one, they're basically cannon fodder in a tie in a tie fighter, but they're also trained really well. <laughs> and but in this episode, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you, you you go to like Rogue One or Return of the Jedi or some of A New Hope, you get some well, good good dogfight scenes with right. tie fighters. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Plus, like I I haven't even played Star Wars Squadron, yeah, but I, I heard that like it kind of looks at uh, both sides of the story. And, and and plus uh Battlefront two, it kind it kinda like changed my perspective of uh TIE Fighter pilots as well. Definitely with Aiden Versio. Right. And uh and we even j- just a trailer mm-hmm. for um uh Squadrons. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That that was cool. Now we're kinda getting close to the end of the episode. Um the X Wing pilot pilots apparently arrive at Navarro uh shortly after the Mandalorian left. And they're asking questions, so, and like we get to see the pilot from the return again, uh, not 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 Dave Filoni, but the other one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, and that kind of begs the question. Uh, actually, I think you even touched upon this uh, in, on one of our Mando meetings episodes that uh, he's on like the New Republic's radar, and with that being kept. 
with that being in mind, are they like now trying to um, follow the Mandalorian around just to see what the heck's going on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would agree with that, especially since he asked he like asked uh, what's it grief card yeah so like, something about similar about what happened after the Razor Crest Crest left uh-huh. right? and nothing was said before that so it's, it almost hints at that like yeah like they're they're tracking him somehow or trying to figure out what to suit up to or word is spreading that there's a Mandalorian doing shady stuff with a kid the little alien kid mm-hmm. <laughs> when you get that you're also getting that whole like setup of like the whole political backdrop of the story which is that you have the new republic is trying to kind of you know I don't know, spread the gospel of the New Republic to these uncharted territories. And then, like, you have Grief Karga, who's kind of like, you know, we don't want the Empire or the New Republic here. Like, we're kind of cool over here by ourselves. You know, like, we're not going to cooperate. You know, it's like, um, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the New Republic isn't just, like, viewed as, like, you know, the good guys automatically who everybody wants to cooperate with. And I, I just thought there was a strong Lando vibe there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like Grief Karga is like the, the legitimate businessman who just wants to fly under the radar of all the authorities, you know, that kind of a thing. But I thought that the scene with the pilot and Cara Dune was yeah. very interesting. I think that was pretty obvious foreshadowing of something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really explains her hatred for Imperials. Mm-hmm. Like you, you were saying, Justin, that you had noticed in the first season that was it G- Gideon said that Cardoon is from Alderaan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I totally missed that until this episode. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's just like, oh, that explains, like, when she squashes that poor scout trooper up against the wall, she's like, whoa! Like, right, oh. right, right. Someone's a little, uh. Yeah, she's got no, no qualms about me. Yeah. And that's like, Records say you're from Alderaan. Mm, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, I think that, and I, I don't know if I missed it in season one or forgot, but that really, that was, a, that was a pivotal moment of character development for that character that I really thought was, was needed. I mean, up to this point, she was like, yeah, we knew she had this background with the rebellion, mm-hmm. but we really didn't. You know, it was just kind of like, it was just a thing. It was just like, oh, I used to be in the Rebellion, and now I'm this badass all by myself. But now it's like, she's being, you know, she's, she's the, like, the classic, like, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm not part of the cause anymore, you know, like. And then Man is like, we'll be killing Imperials. I'm in. Right. <laughs> yeah. like she's, 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 you know, he leaves that, that Republic badge or whatever that is. Um, and now she's like, mm, do I get back involved with, you know, cause or do I stay just, you know, here doing my thing? Like, I think it's pretty obvious that that's going to continue to play out, right? Like she's mm-hmm. going to feel torn at some point, maybe not in this season necessarily, but she's going to be for- torn at some point into that, into that, whatever the new Republic is doing and maybe to to um, the resistance at some point, I guess, if that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a cool, that was a cool, yeah. And that was a heavy, it was a heavy moment, like, you know, you're, you're, you're from all around, you know, 
But then they kind of, I mean, I hate to say it, but like when he said, did you lose anyone? And I was like, well, duh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, how, you think they were all on vacation that day? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> of course you probably lost someone. And then she says everyone. It's like, well, of course everyone, because they blew up the planet, right? Like, she wasn't there for whatever reason, but I thought that was an interesting choice of dialogue. But still, I thought, I thought the moment itself was sufficiently, like, carried weight and made, made that character more have some depth. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. And also ties in, I wonder if they're going to tie in somehow with Princess Leia, whether in the comics or a novel or even a branch off TV show, since since they're both, well, Princess Leia adopted into Alderaan, Mm -hmm. but they still have like that common reason to fight the Empire. Mm -hmm. And Cargoon's not in the sequel trilogy at all. She's never pictured with the resistance right. um, per se but you could still go there and yeah. make that connection outside of the movies so now we have did we admit, is there anything between that and because then we nope. jump to we jump to that shot which I loved oh, that was, that how they amazing. went that call uh-huh. back to the New Hope shot of the what looked like an Imperial Star Destroyer coming over which was just vintage it's mm-hmm. great I thought for a moment we were going to get an Imperial Star Destroyer, which would have been huge, but it wasn't. Um, but um, we're getting a we get a we're getting we've been getting a lot of Empire imagery the last two episodes, like a mm-hmm. lot. Like, yeah, it's it's really well done. Like it's spot on. It feels seamless with the the visuals and storyline of the original trilogy, like all the Imperial the the uniforms. The architecture, like you were saying, Justin, everything mm-hmm. looks very precisely imperial. So you picked up on the the person who put the homing beacon on the Razor Crest. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, um, and and I I'm surprised that I didn't uh, mention it before uh, in this Mando meetings, but um, yeah, I know I noticed that there was a guy that turned that turned around and like looked at the um, crew, like the group. Uh, well, uh, Grief Cargo was telling him to fix up the ship. I was like, yeah. okay, that, that guy's looking at them an awfully long time. And, and uh, lo and behold, he tells the Empire that he put the uh, tracking beacon on the Razor Crest. Yeah. Which, that automatically kind of put like a sense of dread. Mm-hmm. Because now, it's like, well, we all know that Mando's going to be heading now to uh, Corvus. Mm-hmm. Where he's gonna lead possibly Mock Gideon to not just the child, but to other force sensitive uh, to beings. Ahsoka, yeah, like oh. leading them right to to them. Even and as we're talking like, about that part of it alone, just the part about because like you you had the recording earlier. We need more blood. Mm-hmm. Sounds terrible from the child. We've got a homing beacon on the Razor Crest, like. This this episode, I, I'm st- I'm I'm very happy with how they tricked me into thinking that I was getting a filler, and then mm-hmm. actually just like, I mean, by the end of this episode, they are they are like priming the pump for the last four episodes. Like you've got, you've got, um, now you've got Moff Gideon like locked in on the Razor Crest on Mando and the child, the dread that you're describing is perfectly set up. Like, and like and. And, and now, like, Moff Gideon and the Imperials, they seem even more 
like foreboding like even more like this is these people are bad bad news like mm-hmm. they are dealing with dark you know some kind of dark stuff you know and the way that he's you know describes that like like okay we will we'll, you know we're gonna we got him um and then just that just everything about the imagery of that scene, that last scene with Moff Gideon, where he's in that hallway with the, like the scientists with like the like hazmat suits on and like mm-hmm. these things in the wall, you can't quite tell what they are. And there's like this very, the smoke and like, um, I don't remember what he said at the end of the episode, but like, I mean, just, and like his character just looks, he just plays it so perfectly villainous. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he's very i mean that's like he's like tarkin-esque through and through just like yeah. oozing bad like right like i'm bad for being bad sake like i'm just bad right mm-hmm. um which i think is all really speaks to how well that like shows you how much they understand right like filoni and favreau and like they get it they know how to do star wars like this is what we're getting Mm-hmm. Um, it helps too um, like some of the behind the scenes of season one where you can watch them they grew up with Star Wars mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so they know Star Wars inside and out what fans want because they are fans mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. totally totally I think that's that's what that's what's making this sh- this was making this show successful is that it's accessible to a casual fan mm-hmm. or to a you know, or slightly more than casual fan, but it's filled with lots of fan service, lots of references, lots of just everything that a f- real fan would want, and even the deeper cuts like the Bo Katan, the Ahsoka, like the stuff mm-hmm. that's for people who are getting can or canon, you know, to some degree canon junkies, right? Like they they're that are following the whole storyline more or less, um, and they're serving on all those levels, like. Like, I thought I was really, someone else was, I know we're getting off track here, but, like, I was watching a video about last week, and, like, they were talking about how perfectly they brought in Bo-Katan to where if you knew who that was, it was really cool, and you got more out of it than someone who didn't know. But if you had no idea who Bo-Katan was, that yeah, episode still made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it still worked as a story, right? Like, this is just this person who's a legitimate Mandalorian that, you know, shows up, right? Um, so I think that's what that's what that's what I I think that they're doing really well, um, and I think that this episode just was a probably was the most like last season last episode last week's episode was really really good I really liked it mm-hmm. I thought it was too short but this episode I feel like this episode was better because it actually fully. My concern, even after the first two episodes and even the Sunder after the third, was we're coming up on the halfway point of mm-hmm. season two, and we haven't touched who is ba- who is the child, Moff Gideon, the Dark Saber, like the storyline that we got in season one yeah. mm-hmm. hadn't been picked up yet, really, almost at all. Like Moff Gideon pops up for a few seconds in the last episode. Um, but we don't really get any conversation about Baby Yoda. I was always wondering where did the scientist go? What is going? What is the, you know, the story? And this episode picked it up big time. Like, mm-hmm. got us right back in that storyline and did it without 
while still doing just like purely entertaining parts of this of the of the episode as well um and i that just made it i think my favorite that was my favorite of the season so far i think mm, really mm-hmm. so yeah and plus um how like uh, they how well they did uh bo uh and and they and, and that also kind of i wish i would have uh discussed this uh during the last mando meetings but i feel like how they handled bo in uh, the last chapter it kind of makes me a little bit. Um, it, it would. It makes me feel a little bit safer about like them bringing in Ahsoka Tano, because uh, and I've said this multiple times dur- uh, during the podcast's run, and I've said it on Twitter with uh, not so great results. Um, my worry is that uh, if they did bring in Ahsoka or Boba Fett, that it would kind of just overshadow the Mandalorian's story. And so far, that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, like even even Baby Yoda's getting sidelined this season mm-hmm. uh, in in favor of uh, the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so yeah, I'm not as stressed about bringing in the characters since I know now that they know how to handle they know where to put the focus and that is the main character and the child but yet at the same time they're still very effectively Mm -hmm. bringing in like that you can you can feel the 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 universe and the picture broadening Mm -hmm. like you've got really like three kind of larger you have the mandalorians like the true mandalorians you have the imperials you have the New Republic. Those are like the three kind of, I feel like, the bigger outside forces that are out moving around in the universe mm-hmm. or the galaxy. And then you have Man- the Mando and the Child specifically. And I think, and I think that they are going to be more tied to Ahsoka. Like that's, Ahsoka also exists in kind of the same space. She's not associated, at least that we can tell, She's not an Imperial, she's not a Mandalorian, and she's not New Republic, I'm mm-hmm. assuming. So her status, she's, her status might still be citizen. Po- possibly. <laughs> well that's so that's a question that so like so pulling back again, like they're pulling that creating that context, right? Mm-hmm. Which they did a little bit of in season one, but not super, like not a ton of it, but now it's really opening up and you can see where those like where the New Republic and the Mandalorians and the Empire could all three be like at odds with each other at any mm-hmm. given time with mm-hmm. opposing things that they need to accomplish and how that impacts Baby Yoda, right? Like clearly the Mandalorians don't necessarily have any concern for Baby Yoda other than maybe I've heard people theorize that like Bo-Katan would be willing to barter <laughs> Baby right. Yoda for the Dark uh-huh. Saber, <laughs> which is an interesting thought. But like you have like all of these competing interests, right? Like political interests or military interests that are, that are, you know, at, at play in this, the chaos of the fall of the empire and baby Yoda and the Mandalorian are kind of like more or less innocent bystanders, I guess you would say to that, all of that that's going on. Um, not to mention this whole thing about like the Mandalorians informing, um, Din Djarin that he's basically part of a cult which is another interesting thing that probably will come back up again. But 
all of that big picture stuff I think is being is really like I've really now I'm really starting to feel the momentum of storytelling that's going to make what happens to the man to Mando and the child like really you know significant mm-hmm. and how that plays into Bo-Katan mm-hmm. trying to fight back against the Empire to re- reclaim Mandalore mm-hmm. yeah that one <clears throat> that one guy's theory is there's going to be a war between the Mandalorians and the Empire to take back their home planet. Mm-hmm. And if that if that's going to happen, how is that going to play in? And then, like you're saying, with the New Republic. Right, is the New wow. Republic going to intervene and yeah. is Mandalore going to be offended by that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, that could be a possibility. Um, then what about the Jedi? What if, like, they're... they're that's that's like a whole another cane of worms that I feel like that's probably going to be answered by the end of this season, maybe. Well, that's the that's so. the question. It's like okay, so like, what is Ahsoka like? Is Ahsoka just like Luke, like just a hermit somewhere, mm-hmm. like all by herself, or is she connected to something else, right? And I don't think they'll go there, but. It, could it be Luke Skywalker or other Jedi or is she part of some something? But like she is referred to, she is associated with or identified as or with Jedi mm-hmm. explicitly in that introduction to her. Um, so that could introduce a whole nother, you know, I don't know. Um, then there's a whole Sabine Ezra Thrawn. Mm-hmm. Right. And if, if they didn't bring them in. Wouldn't it be interesting if Thrawn and ends up being like like Moff Gideon, good guys, uh, the arch nemesis of or, Moff Gideon? <laughs> oh, that, that would be quite <laughs> that might that could happen too. Uh, I think it's really interesting to me. To me, it's really interesting how, if I'm honest, like how quickly I went. I I went from the first two episodes. I was like, I wasn't super excited. Right. To like, uh-huh. and they, I mean, they meant they took the next two episodes and they just like picked it right back up. Like, they made up for lost time, which I really felt like they had to do. And I yeah. feel like they did it. Like they mm-hmm. they made up for lost time, and they still positioned us really, really well. Right, and it wasn't for rushed the last either. four episodes. Right, the uh-huh. storytelling wasn't rushed. Mm-hmm. It was good character development too. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, I, I I don't know if this is uh, something that I th- I feel like this is something that I've noticed um, as far as like the promotion for season two. I feel like they've shown these last four episodes, like the footage from all that was put into uh, the season two trailer. So we're, so like there's no footage yeah. of the next four episodes. We're entering into uncharted uh, that's what, territory. That's what Sean has in our chat. He goes, I noted uh, all the footage from the trailer was has been shown. Okay, yeah, I, I haven't read the message from Sean, but yeah, yeah, that that I just noticed like right after uh, this chapter, and I'm like, huh, wow, we're, yeah. We're, and we haven't seen, and we've, we've just started to get a glimpse mm-hmm. of, I think there's two things about that. One is, so they, they very intentionally, basically gave us nothing in the trailers, they, uh-huh. almost nothing. Yep. Like, yeah. Like, story, <laughs> there was no storyline, it was just... Cool shot number one, cool shot number two, cool mm-hmm. shot number three, and we'll flow forth went in. You're not getting a storyline in this at all. Like, the only thing that would I think would have been remotely considered a reveal in the trailers was just that we saw that Grief Karga and Cara Dune and Moff Gideon yeah. would be back in some kind of way. Yeah. But we never got any 
none of the stuff we got in this episode. Oh, certainly yeah. not Bo Katan or any of that. So that was all. They're hiding it really back. well. Yeah, yeah that that it's is what similar I re- to what they did with Baby Yoda. We never uh-huh. saw Baby Yoda coming. Yes, that's that's what I like. I know a lot of people don't like that, but the, I I liked uh, getting that shock value of whoa! I didn't see that. Or at least at least like, like I've only heard rumors, and the rumors don't get confirmed until the show. Right. They don't yep. get confirmed in the trailer. Whereas like, like even in Rise of Skywalker, I was thrilled and utterly disappointed at the same time that they fully revealed the Emperor coming back right in the trailer uh-huh. it was rumored it would have been better I think to not reveal it in the trailer and then reveal it in the movie but instead they chose to fully reveal it in the trailer and even in a TV spot fully reveal that he was behind everything All right. whereas this was completely the opposite uh-huh. they, did the op- they gave us nothing I almost feel like they had to because of how bad uh, Last Jedi turned out to be. Like, or, as far as reception. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. I, and I think they also, um, I think that's smart, because I, I think we talked about, like, the fact that the leaks and rumors are probably released by Disney anyway. So, like, yeah. that's probably a smarter way to do it, is just plant the seeds through the rumor mill, and then <laughs> pretend to hold it back in the trailer, and then give it to us in the show, so that, so, like, kind of humor us a little bit, you know, uh-huh. like... Um, the, the, like, e- even, even the rumors, uh, like, for the Mandalorian, like, I remember, uh, when they, uh, go like, oh, we have the name of, like, each chapter now, and so far, like, they have not matched it up at all, and it's, I'm like, bravo. <laughs> I think it's the same with, so. the, the episode two of this season, whereas a lot of people didn't like it. But you, you, you can just tell. They're they're sitting there back there behind the curtain. You, you guys have no idea what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So just, to, just to, to bring this full circle, like, so what is going on? What is, what is, I, my assumption here is that Moff Gideon, at a minimum, for his own ends, is trying to create a Force-sensitive army of some kind is that possibly um but I, I felt like it was kind of pointing towards like doubly like kind of like an enhanced soldier kind of thing not necessarily a jedi said no. a force user i, like, I was right like, i was kind of some kind of like take our best soldiers and turn them into like yeah like force, a, force using yeah. super soldiers or whatever. Like a death oh, trooper okay. on steroids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- no, that's that was like far f- from though. I though I thought of dark troopers like when, when they showed the last shot of this uh, chapter, but I was thinking more of like him bringing uh, like the me- the necessities or the means to help Palpatine with uh, um, taking back the galaxy. Mm-hmm. So it could like be possibly it could like be both. possibly with Snoke getting the necessities for Snoke or possibly himself, uh, the Emperor himself. Um, that would yeah, make, that would make sense mm-hmm. on the aspect of trying to take back the galaxy because right. at this point we're looking at five six years after Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. So the only actual Jedi is Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Like right. he wouldn't have any full fledged Jedi Knights or Jedi Masters. At this point, mm-hmm. so oh, if yeah. they were able to like clone, 
force users to be like in, inquisitors or dark disciples of Palpatine. And or bring the Sith acolytes from the uh, uh, aftermath books into this. And if they could super grow force sensitive warriors and then just push them out with stormtroopers, I mean, mm. what, whatever Jedi Luke would have would be overwhelmed. So do you guys think this is going to tie back to Palpatine at some point explicitly? Possibly. Or, 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 or just like maybe like implied. The, implied, yeah. Implied, implied maybe. I have a feeling they, they probably are very intentionally leaving it. Like it's back there, right? If you're really mm-hmm. paying attention. But it's never going to be stated implicitly. Right. Right. Because right. I feel like they're like Dave Filoni and John Favreau know where this story is going. Right. Uh, like even before like Rise of Skywalker was even like put to paper or like an idea of it being put to paper. And that's what I don't that's what we don't know though. We don't know if Mandalorian season one well we know season two, by season two they would have known the full story of Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. I don't know about season one. Um seems un well I mean Season one of The Mandalorian actually was in in being released when Rise of Skywalker came out. So yeah, really hard to know for sure mm-hmm. if they knew all that and had all that planned out. But it seems like too much of a coincidence, right? It's like uh-huh. that you have you introduce cloning, dark side cloning in Rise of Skywalker, and you have cloning by the yes. Empire here. It seems uh-huh. too much too much of a coincidence to not be connected. Even if it's never explicitly stated that that's and that that could also explain how the resistance knew about uh, the dark side cloning, because mm-hmm. when they find out that Palpatine's back, that one resistance guy who plays by the same guy who plays uh, Mary in Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings, uh-huh. he was Sith something or dark side cloning. So it's like okay, how how would you know about cloning? Mm-hmm. So I mean that well, could be, and then that New Republic pilot is like. He says something like, um, "There's something some, going on something out here. Going on we just don't know what it is, or and or something like that." Like, we can't help you without the help of the local people, right? right. Like, there's something cool. there. They've got like an inkling. Something's going on, mm-hmm. right? And I don't know if that's just like their general suspicions about the first order rising, which is very much the, the, the canon does tell that story, right? Like you have to. The factions of the New Republic that are concerned about the military rise of the First Order, and so is this like, is this the the seeds of that story, right, on both sides? Like, there's the rumblings about the Empire, something dark going on. The New Republic's aware of it, but there's not like we don't know what's actually going on, right? And that continues, and that births the First Order and. The resistance, but they never actually will explicitly like, like we're never going to get that actual explicit bridge moment. Like, you know, like like I don't I don't think we're going to see Palpatine in this show. We're not going to see Leia or Luke, Mm -hmm. um, but we're going to get that all implied. I would guess it's really got the same kind of vibe as uh, the um, aftermath books, Mm -hmm. where like Nora Wexler's going out just. On patrol, searching for the remnants of the empire, because you know, the guts say something's up. Mm-hmm. So it kind of has, kind of has that same kind of vibe. So I, I wonder, as that <clears throat> that book series is taking place, this is taking place at the same time, which could all somehow funnel into, like what you're saying, 
how the First Order starts, so we, we, we might even get the Battle of Jakku at se- Season 3 of Mandalorian. Mm, maybe. I think the Aftermath books, at a minimum, like they they strongly imply, again, never explicitly stated, like we don't get like explicit connections between the Aftermath series and Force Awakens or the sequel trilogy, mm-hmm. but it's clearly implied. Like there's, yep. there's, there's clearly a connection, right? Like there's continuity there. It's just never like fully fleshed out like concretely all the way through. Yeah, the biggest hints are, I, I remember, because I listened to the audiobook at work, where, uh, who's, who's the main guy in the Empire on uh, Jakku? I can't, I, I, have, I haven't gotten that far. <laughs> but he talks about Palpatine, says, no, when the Empire, if he were to die, the Empire didn't deserve to continue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it failed him. So the, the goal was to wipe the board clean, destroy, have the Empire be destroyed, go off into the unknown, unknown regions, and then that's where the First Order comes in. Right. Well, we never, so we, we, never get, we never get a clean, like, we never get that fleshed out fully. Like, yep. like and, that's, and that's what I'm curious if that's what this is trying to do or not do, I don't know. But, like, we never get the, okay, we know what Palpatine was doing and the Empire were doing at the very end of Aftermath. And then, and then we get him at the beginning of Rise of Skywalker. But there's a big gap there where we don't get explicit story yep. of what was going on, right? Mm-hmm. And is this going to try to fill that in to some degree or even beyond it? Or are there other plans to, to tell that story? Hard to say. All I, I, all I know is that for the sake of this season, like I said, like, I feel like this episode really, like... Like, I feel like you can feel the momentum, like, pushing this to the last four episodes. Like, mm-hmm. like the chase is on, right? Yep. And you have all these forces at play, right? And you know they're all going to, I think, think it's very likely we're going to see the Mandalorians come back in. Mm-hmm. We're going to see the Imperials. We're going to see the New Republic. Um, possibly Boba Fett. Maybe Cop Vanth, but Boba Fett probably factors into this. Ahsoka, like... Potentially a lot of story and a lot of action and a lot of it, the stuff that could happen in the last four episodes, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. So, um, before we go, uh, there was something that did pop up uh, uh, in my head. Um, like uh, one of the first uh, Mando meetings for season two, uh, I mentioned that the uh, soundtrack to uh, season two wasn't available at that time and it wasn't until uh, today oh. and um, what and I remember uh, looking back yeah I see Aaron grabbing his phone like oh I gotta check this <laughs> um, so back then I said that it's possible because they did reuse some of the uh, music from the first season uh, for season two but um, but yeah, I've, I I theorized that they were gonna release uh, the soundtrack um, for season two uh, when the season was over. Um, but I guess they have enough material to uh, put four episodes worth of music uh, into uh, one album. So uh, if you haven't checked that out yet, I highly recommend it. I did listen to it. Um, 
before uh, coming here and before viewing us. Looking forward to the next next episode, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that will be it for us for today. And uh, thanks for listening. And as always, um, stay on target. Yep, stay on target. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you guys next time.